So I think what we're going to do when we get back should be a rather uh, interesting uh, series. We're going to do Sunday School Answers. So in my life, I've heard a lot of times that those are just Sunday School Answers. But I think you're going to find there's actually some power in those Sunday School Answers. So we'll start a new series uh, in a couple weeks. But for now, we wanted to do one kind of an in-between series. We just finished James. And last week we did on the idea of being distressed, and we saw Paul being distressed for the souls there in Athens, and that we need to have a burden for souls. And today, kind of along that, we're going to look at a very familiar passage on seeking the Lord. So if you'd like to turn to Matthew in chapter 6, in verse 24 through 34, we're actually going to start in verse 31 today. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 31. And as we get started, I'll have you think about this a little bit for a second. Um, do we have any worriers in the room? Any worriers? You may want to come down front. Central, we'll start with you. No. Um, this message is for the worrier that's in all of us, some to different levels. Hopefully the Lord will encourage you today. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 31, the word of God says, or Jesus says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles or the pagans seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Hopefully we'll make sense of that in just a second. I want to start off with this, and this is an old story. You may have heard it before, but every time I hear it, it makes me smile. And it's about kind of directing our priorities and make sure we're doing the important things. This is uh, from the um, USA Today. Responding to the increasing destructiveness of high winds in the Midwest, one developer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, offered an optional tornado safe room in the new homes he was selling. Nine of the first 10 buyers opted to pay the extra $2,500 for the room, which can also be used as a closet or a bathroom or a vault when not needed for safety. The 10th couple, the developer said, were 75 years old and they opted for a hot tub. <laughs> right? So you have to kind of weigh out what is important. And really today, as you're trying to solve the mystery of worry and really the mystery of anxiety over just trying to do life, the truth that comes and resonates from the word of God is seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. All right, I'm about to lay a trap for you, so stay with me here just for a second. Please don't answer out loud, okay? These are rhetorical. How much money did you make last year? Don't say. I see some of you are already like, are you making enough this year? Don't you deserve more? Why doesn't God give you a better job? Why doesn't he make the money last longer? How come your evil neighbor seems to be raking it in and you never seem to have quite enough? You tithe, you come to church. Shouldn't God be rewarding your efforts? Now, again, you know this is a trap, right? You never think thoughts like these, do you? Hmm? You look across the street or you look at maybe in the parking lot at work and you're like, how do they afford that? 
Right? That's, I think about that of every single person in California. <laughs> Brooklyn comes and she shares the cost of those houses out there. I'm like, how do they afford that? My challenge to you this morning, and this is difficult for us and your preacher as well, is to stop thinking about what you should be earning and to start thinking about what you can do for the Lord. To put the kingdom of God first in your thinking and to start trusting God rather than yourself for food and clothing. Do you trust God or do you trust you for all these things? We do have to take care of our families and even our church family, but again this morning, obedience to his will and his word should be our first priority. I was working with my friend Stacy from our India trip. He's so awesome to send me. He's, every Sunday he sends me a prayer time, and it is just fantastic. And usually it goes through the model prayer is how he lays it out. And again, the reminder to me from him was, am I seeking God's will or am I seeking my will? And so many times... I'm seeking my will. Again, the challenge today is to make God's will our first priority. Again, another trick question, maybe a little bit. How much time do you spend thinking about money? Have you thought about it at all this morning before you came here? What I think is interesting to me is a lot of times rich people think about money more than poor people think about money. What did Rockefeller say? How much was enough? It's one more dollar. Right? How much of your mind is thinking about what do I need? What do I want? How do I get it? Or how do I take care of this because I can't afford it? You know how things work. I'm waiting for the third thing to fall. The garage door, the spring went down and the opener. The garbage disposal died on Friday night. So usually there's one more thing that comes, just waiting to see if it's going to be the washing machine or the dishwasher or whatever. <laughs> Isn't that how that stuff works? And so what fills your mind, right? Oh, now I got to go get this fixed. And I got to get this taken care of. And how am I going to pay for this bill? And that, I mean, that's how these things come to pass. And again, I want to challenge you this morning. If you'll let the Lord speak to your heart, I think he's trying to encourage you to seek the kingdom first. Again, my challenge to you this morning is to tell God that you want him to use you and to tell him that you are available. Ask him what your place in the kingdom is to be. Ask him to help you think more about him and his kingdom than mammon. Mammon's good old King James word for money. All right. So let's start there this morning with two masters. Look with me down in verse 24 as we think about two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Have any of you ever had the issue of having multiple bosses? <laughs> How does that work? Right? A lot of us in our business space maybe have encountered this. And I'm in two different positions right now trying to help eliminate some people from having multiple bosses because one boss will say go do this thing and the other boss says well that's great but I need you to go do this thing right and it works the same way with these two bosses you cannot serve both God and what money 
You can't serve them both. You're going to need to pick one. In his book, um, Bias, a CBS insider, Bernard Goldberg recounts a pivotal moment in television news. In the early 70s, CBS president Dick Salant told staffers, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is for the first time in history, CBS News made money last quarter. The bad news is for the first time in history, CBS News made money last quarter. Goldberg writes, Salant knew and everyone knew if news could actually make money, the suits who ran the networks would expect just that. Sure, they would want quality in theory, but they wanted ratings and money. In the words of Don Hewitt, the creator of 60 Minutes, before they would say, make us proud, now they tell us, make us money. And we can see that, the ramifications of that so much today, can't we, right? You know now that your media is driven by profit. What's kind of sad, it's a reflection on this, the human soul, is that we know we can make a lot more money with negative clickbait than positive clickbait. You're going to see a lot more negative stories than positive stories. Why? Makes more money. If I have more negative stories, more negative headlines, I'm going to get more clicks and more draw. Well, I think it was interesting to me, I listened to a podcast. Uh, in this podcast, they shared the truth that Republicans were more likely to click on negative titles <laughs> about Republicans than they were to click on positive titles about Republicans. And Democrats were the same, or equal opportunity in that way. It is driven by that need within us, that craving that we call sin. And it's amazing how that when the shift became that we could make money, that truth would eventually go out the window. Again, this morning, you can spend your life devoted to a lot of different things, or you can spend your life seeking God. What will it be? Well, let's look down together in verse 25. Jesus, again, speaking to the disciples, if you go back all the way in chapter 6, what's in the beginning of chapter 6? Anybody know or the middle of chapter 6? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? We've got the Lord's Prayer. After that, we see some issues with prayer. Right? Remember what the, the Pharisees were doing? How'd they pray? On their knees in their closet? Out in the public square. Oh, to the mightiest, glorious, most holy one. What are the most beautiful words I can think of to express how amazing you are and everybody will love me and think I'm so spiritual and holy. Right? And what else we talk about in chapter 6? Fasting, right? What, what were the Pharisees, how were they fasting? In, in their closets, in their homes? No, no, no. They got the makeup out. <laughs> <laughs> they put makeup on their faces so that they looked even more distraught and sick so people would be like, oh, they're so holy. Look how they're fasting. Right? They, they're putting on the show, weren't they, right? This is the same passage. And what was the problem? In our day, we think of the Pharisees as the big hypocrites. In Jesus' day, they were thought as the most holy people in the world. And the disciples were like, well, how can we live up to them? We don't, we don't even have enough stuff. And Jesus starts to tell them about not to worry. So let's look together. Verse 25 again. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not? 
valuable than they. You don't believe that. Does God love you? Does he love you more than the birds and more than the animals? Some of you have given up at times on God, and I'm telling you today, God has not given up on you. You are valuable. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm not making this up. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Or some of your translations may say, a single cubit to his height. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Will the Lord take care of you? Oh, I know that preacher. No, will the Lord take care? No, I know. That. Will the Lord take care of you? Okay. <laughs> we get so worried that the Lord isn't going to take care of us so that we have to take over those issues, don't we, right? Maybe the message today should have been about control freaks rather than people who worry. Do we have any control freaks in the room? <laughs> right. I like to be in charge of my situation, right? I want to take care of myself. Even yesterday, moving some stuff around, I did not want Rick or Michael messing with my boxes. I can take care of my boxes. I don't need anybody. I don't care if that bag is 85 pounds. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to prove I can control this. I can take care of it. And today my back said, you're a liar. Right? Today we have to think about these things. And I hope that even in the humor you hear what the Lord is trying to say. Your worry is usually a control issue, isn't it? Right? You say you trust God, and yet you are worried about the clothes and the food and the bills and the garbage disposal and the garage door. Do you trust God? Are you seeking the kingdom first? Are you trying to take care of your kingdom first, and then what's left over, you'll help out God when you got a moment or a minute? Again, let the Lord speak to you where you need today. Again, Jesus says, don't worry, which is so much easier said than done, right? But when you really think about it, there isn't a need to worry about your daily bread. Jesus, even in the same chapter, said, ask us to pray for it. I love how Rick started off this morning with the scripture of the greatness of God, right? And we sang about the greatness of God, how great thou art and how great is our God. Is it a problem for God to make you a sandwich? It's kind of hilarious when you think about it, right? The maker of all the stars and all the planets, the person who laid out the Grand Canyon, <laughs> the person who laid out the Pacific Ocean, and you're wondering if he will be able to handle your situation. That's what Jesus is laying out today. Whatever your situation is, my encouragement to you this morning is God is telling you he can handle it. The reminder here from Jesus is God gives the greater, he can take care of the smaller. God gives our very breath and life. He can take care of the food to sustain it. It's not a problem for him. God creates the body. He can make the clothes to clothe it. And so he gives us a couple of examples, right? He gives us the birds and the flowers. The birds work 
but they don't worry. They don't have to sow or reap, yet God takes care of them. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Amen. The old joke I always loved was that you never see a sparrow driving a John Deere tractor. Right? They don't have to do that. The Lord meets their needs. And if we, again, hear the Lord, not me today. If we will trust the Lord, whatever your need is today, and there's a bunch of different needs in this building here today. Some are financial, some are health needs, some are relationship needs. I'm telling you, if we will trust the Lord, he will meet the need. Other things that you know. Worrying doesn't change a thing, does it? Man, I wish Brooklyn, I better send this to Brooklyn when we're done. <laughs> We've been talking about worry this week a lot. Worrying doesn't change a thing. What's it do for you? It does a few things for you, doesn't it, right? It could give you headaches. It could give you loss of sleep. It could give you ulcers. It can give you all kinds of stress and anxiety. That's what worry does for you, but it doesn't change a thing. And what we all need help with, and if you'll hear the Lord today, is we need to stop focusing on what we're in control of and seek the kingdom. If we seek the kingdom, it becomes so much easier to fulfill what Jesus here says when he says, don't worry about your life. And he kind of sets it up in reverse. Don't worry, because we're going to see in just a second the seek the kingdom. Now, when he ends this phrase at the end of verse 30, that's where it always hits home, doesn't it? Again, let me read verse 30 for you. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And I was pounding on the boys this morning in Sunday school telling them that they don't have to wait till they graduate high school or graduate college to do things for God. They do it today. And we've seen that sometimes those boys have more faith than these old people, right? You guys, pray the Lord would increase our faith. What was it the, that the Father said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? I'm struggling in this, but I want to be better. Lord, increase my faith. Again, Bottom line is, if I am in control, I better be worried. But if I'm not, I've got to depend upon God, and that is faith. Well, let's look at the cultural example. Verse 31, what are the pagans doing? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. When we in our lives are worried about all these things, we are no different than any unbeliever, and we lose an opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. How much are we infected by the disease that is materialism? Take a minute just for a second. How does materialism affect us even here today? Right? In our culture, we have a desire. The Lord kind of made us this way. We don't like to be too much different. So the culture has something we feel like we have to measure up, right? And again, this is old time talking, but if the culture says you need to have two cars and a two-story house and a white picket fence, if you have less, sometimes you kind of feel less as a person, right? Pick your brands. Again, this shows how old the preacher is. I don't even know what the brands are today, but when I was a kid, it was Nike, right? My friends had Nike shoes. I wanted to have Nike shoes. Otherwise, I didn't feel like I would, would fit in. And today, it's so much with your technology is the same, right? 
Oh, you have a Chromebook. You are really poor. Let me see if I can help you. Oh, you have Apple products? How do you afford all that, right? There's so much pressure in our world to possess material things, and this isn't a new thing. You hear Jesus speaking about the Gentiles, about the pagans here? He says they run after all these things. What does the world run after today? Pull up any Snapchat or any Instagram from any 21-year-old today, and you can see what the world is running after, right? What they desire is the same thing the pagans have desired, the Gentiles, that would be us. They're running after the material things. That's what drives their life. We talked about this a little bit last week. Remember the Epicureans and the Stoics, right? What is driving their life? Jesus says the pagans worry about all these things. And then yet he has this little phrase at the end of verse 32. What does he say? Your heavenly father knows you need him. Clothes? God knows you need clothes. Food? God knows you need food. Shelter? God knows you need shelter. Love? God knows you need love. He knows it. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we sit around on the couch waiting for God to deliver, <laughs> but it does mean that we trust him, and that's where we end up today. Looking again at verse 33, a very, one of the most famous verses in the New Testament. Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples who had been influenced by all the Pharisees in their culture and all the pagans around and the material things they chase after, he says in verse 33, but seek first his, that being God's kingdom, and his righteousness and notice that phrase again all these things will be given to you as well therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will be about itself each day has enough trouble of its own and when God says all these things does that mean if I seek the kingdom first then I get a Ferrari and a mansion and an in-ground pool and a yacht on the Pacific is that the all these things Jesus kind of laid out the, all these things pretty clear, didn't he? He said, food and raiment, food and clothing. God will take care of your needs if you will take care of his kingdom. So be careful in the way sometimes we like to reword the scriptures. But if we will allow God to take care of these things, he can and will. This is from Van Morris. Just is such a good picture of God providing for our needs. Immediately after World War II, the Allied armies gathered up many hungry and homeless children and placed them in large camps. And there the children were abundantly fed and cared for. However, at night they didn't sleep well. They seemed restless and afraid. And finally a psychologist hit on a solution. After the children were put to bed, they each received a slice of bread to hold. If they wanted more to eat, more was provided. But this particular slice was not to be eaten. It was just to hold. The slice of bread produced marvelous results. The children would go to sleep subconsciously, feeling they would have something to eat tomorrow. And that assurance gave the child calm and peaceful rest. In Psalm 23, David points out something of the same feeling in the sheep when he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not <laughs> want. See how that works? You seek the kingdom. And the Lord provides your needs. He knows the shepherd made ample provision for it today. The sheep knows it will be tomorrow. And so the sheep lies down in its fold with, figuratively speaking, a piece of bread in hand. 
Again, the whole point this morning, the question of the day, what will you do for God? Maybe today some of you think you are too small or too young to do something for God. We studied earlier this spring about a king named Josiah. He was eight years old when he became king. And with the power of the Lord, he was able to turn the whole country back to God. We all know the story of a little boy named David with five stones. Amen? <laughs> we also know a little boy that had a couple loaves and a couple fishes. What can that do the power of God? Yeah. Feed 5,000 men and their wives and their kids. Are you hearing the Lord today? I don't know how he can solve this problem. I just don't see how he's going to make it happen in my life. O ye of little faith. Again, Timothy, so many examples in the Bible. Young people can do great things for God. Probably more appropriate uh, to our uh, congregation today. Please don't take offense. But do you think that you are too old to do something for God? <laughs> Sometimes we wonder, right? Again, yesterday, some of the old men trying to lift up boxes are kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Right? And to be honest, I think we've had to deal with this. Rick's dad helped me so much in thinking through these types of things. As men, especially, as they transition to being older men, they can't do the things they used to do. And could you imagine your driver's license being taken away because you're not allowed to drive and now you've lost complete independence, right? And your body starts breaking down. And you used to be that person that would say, don't touch my boxes, I can take care of it. And now you're like, I can't even do that. And you just get so mad at yourself and you feel so useless and worthless. And I'm telling you today, you are never too old to do something for God. Hear the Lord today. Ye of little faith. Simple example, Joshua chapter 14. I do want to read this passage to you because it just is so encouraging. This is about a, a, a young old man <laughs> by the name of Caleb. Joshua 14, verse 6. The Bible says, The people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh and the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses... The servant of the Lord sent me back from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. He was 40 years old when he was a spy. And I brought back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Love that word. Verse 9. So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So verse 10, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. So do the math. How old is he? 85, right? While Israel moved about in the wilderness. So all those Israelites move about, and yet here he is here. And so he says, So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Verse 12, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. 
Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel. How? Wholeheartedly. You hear the story there? 85-year-old man coming back to the assembly, to Joshua. You know the promise, Joshua. You were there with me. This land is mine. It's the Anakites' land, which are much larger, stronger people than the Jewish people. What does Caleb say? Give me my land. <laughs> what? And he wasn't saying, you go and take care of it and then open it up and then I'll walk and I'll inhabit it. He was saying, I'm going to go and take what Moses promised to me at 85 years old, depending on whom to help it come to pass. The Lord. What had Caleb seen? Had Caleb seen the water turn to blood? Had he seen the frogs inhabit his homeland of Egypt? Had Caleb seen the death of the firstborn? Had Caleb seen the people of Israel walk across the Red Sea on dry land? Had Caleb seen the Moses, that Moses was directed by the fire and the cloud? Had Caleb seen God provide for his people 40 years in the wilderness, even in their sin, he gave them manna every day to eat. Caleb knew God could deliver, and he trusted the Lord wholeheartedly. The key to doing something great for God is having a close relationship with him. You must be, two things today, available, and you must be ready. This morning, as we conclude here, is our questions for you to think about today. Do you desire great things for God's kingdom? Like if I could ask you this morning, and, and could you give me an answer if I said, what does God want from you? Can you respond to that answer like right away? Like, here's, I know what he wants. If we're seeking our kingdom, you could probably tell me pretty quickly the next thing you need fixed at your house or the next thing you're hoping to buy. Amen? But if we're serving God's kingdom, I ought to be able to answer what I think God is wanting me to accomplish. What does God want from you? Do you know? What will you do for God? Not in your own flesh, not in your own power, but what will you do for God? That's what God wants out of us. What is your place in the kingdom? And your place could be a lot of different places, amen? For some of you, your place in God's kingdom today will be downtown Indianapolis. For some of you, you'll be back in the kitchen here putting some bags together. So for some of you, it may be a conversation that you're having with your neighbor on your porch today about the Lord. Right? For some of you, it's just going to be loving and praying for your kids and trying to guide them in truth. What is your place in the kingdom? Are you walking close to the Lord? Here's the issue. If you don't walk close to the Lord, are you going to have strong faith? No. And then you're not going to be able to find where the Lord's will is, where his kingdom is. Have you made yourself available? Have you said, as Samuel said, as Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Again, those are the questions I would have you ponder this morning. Again, I love this verse, this passage. I've learned it as a little kid just to sing it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? It's such a great truth. And so much of the time, we're not seeking God's kingdom. We're seeking our own. 
don't know if you guys know uh, this story. You've probably heard some of it many times. You've been in church, you've heard it before. But Jim Elliott was a missionary who went to a tribe in South America, and he felt with all his heart that his place in the kingdom was to help this tribe know about Jesus. And Jim Elliott, as a young man, was incredibly bright, incredibly smart. In our culture today, we would say he was someone who could make a lot of money. He could seek his own kingdom. He could do really well. But he went over to this place, and early on in their ministry, Jim Elliott was actually martyred for his faith. But he left a diary and tons and tons of things that are good in the diary. But there's one quote that we just come back to over and over again. And I want to read you that quote again today because I think it fits so well with what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Jim Elliott wrote, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are you trying to keep today that you don't need to keep? Is it a worry? Is it a fear? Is it anxiety? Maybe it is literally some possessions. Are you trying to keep on some things you need to let go of because they're not part of God's plan for you? What can you give up? And what can you gain today? What can you gain in the Lord? I almost preached on this this morning. It turned out to be our Bible verse in Sunday school class. David says in Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. There is deliverance for those who seek the Lord first. Let's stand this morning.